Hello, I am your host, Samuel Hansen, and you are listening to Strongly Connected Components, episode 48, brought to you by acmescience.com. On today's episode, I have a conversation with Sergei Tabashnikov, professor at Penn State University and director of their Mathematics Advanced Study Semesters program. Our conversation ranges from mathematical education in the USSR and the wonder of Kavant magazine to the power of mathematical billiards and why international travel helps with research. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Strongly Connect Components. I am your host, Samuel Hansen, and today I am joined by a professor at Penn State University, Sergei Tabashnikov. Hello, Professor. Hello. Uh, so let's uh, start out right right where uh, I feel that we should because this is technically my show. Uh, and I, I guess I, I get that I get that prerogative. Really, and this should be clear from your name, you are, you know, not from the United States, uh, which, you know, is not a uncommon thing uh, for someone uh, who's working at a university in the United States, but specifically you are from uh, Russia, or uh, more particularly, you were born in the USSR. Uh, that is right, and when I left, it was still USSR. Yes, and, and so I was wondering if you could uh, tell me a bit about uh, kind of the difference between the mathematical community that you grew up in over there is say your time in moscow versus what it was like in the united states when you came in the early 90s uh sure um uh, it's a big topic but uh, let me um, try to choose some highlights so one thing uh which was uh essential for life in ussr and soviet union was that opportunities available to uh, bright kids were very limited so for example business was not an option business was illegal so what we uh, see here, talented uh, young uh, people choosing career according to uh, their interests, it was much more limited there, and it was quite natural to go to uh, exact sciences, mathematics, physics, uh, biology, simply because other opportunities were much more limited. Also, talking about humanities, for example, I was, uh, when I was a teenager, very much interested in philosophy, but philosophy would mean uh, Marxist-Leninist philosophy, which was not philosophy at all. Uh, so that was not a career path for me. That was uh, off limits, so to speak. Part uh, for that reason, part for many other reasons, uh, exact sciences and mathematics in particular were much more popular uh, than they are here. And uh, I would say that this uh, sentence, which I hear quite often, I hate math, unfortunately I hear it from students as well, uh, was not as common then <laughs> and there as it's uh, here and now. This being uh, said, of course, uh, the uh, those uh, young people uh, in the United States who are interested in career in mathematics, they have so many uh, choices, so many options, 
um, I kind of envy them. <laughs> Not that many in my youth. What should I say? Um, special uh, programs which were available, probably still are available uh, in Russia. I must say that I left 22 years ago, so I don't really know uh, what's happening there these days. I visit from time to time, but uh, it's not a close connection. But um, in my time, and uh, I graduated from high school in 1973, to those who uh, were fortunate enough to, to, to live in big cities close to major universities, uh, there were... Uh, such options as special high schools for physics and mathematics. For example, I attended one. Uh, it was um, the famous school number two in Moscow in my time, the best school for mathematics in the country, I guess. Mm, I don't think uh, this is that common here. There were all kinds of uh, Olympiads, uh, all kinds of mathematical circles. It's more common uh, in this country nowadays, but maybe uh, 30 or 40 years ago it was not that common. I think the term mathematical circle is now part of uh, English language. There is a National Association of Mathematical Circles, and it has more than 100 uh, members, I guess. Um, so um, maybe you, you can tell me um, what kind of uh, other aspects of mathematical life you would like me to... I Well, I that's uh, covered uh, pretty well the uh, the beginning parts. I was uh, wondering if you could if you could tell me a little bit about say uh, the differences uh, that you would have seen as a, a student at, in the university system versus what you would have seen from the student's perspective when you came over here to teach. Certainly, yes. Um, I think the main uh, difference was that um, in Russia they used to uh, specialize very early. So when you um, enter university, you declare your uh, major, um, your future profession really, uh, at the very beginning. And your entrance exam is not standard, not nothing like SAT, but uh, rather a specialized set of exams. Uh, so in my time to become a mathematician, to, to enter mathematics department, you had to take four exams of which uh, two were written and two oral. And there was a written math and there was an essay and there was an oral math and there was an oral physics. So that was the set of exams. But if, for example, you choose history, your set of exams would be totally different. So uh, there was an early specialization. And um, for example, uh, in good universities, they would not uh, teach what they call calculus here, uh, calculus being mathematical analysis without proofs, and then uh, followed later by a more rigorous uh, course of analysis. So uh, there would be only one course of analysis with proofs, and that would be a course taught in first year, so freshmen would take that. Uh, so I would say that by the end of five-year uh, um, college, uh, and in, in Russia it used to be, in Soviet Union it used to be five years, I don't know about these days, so uh, uh, at the end of five uh, years, um, a typical student of mathematics uh, would know probably more mathematics than a graduate student here. But um, eventually, of course, uh, American students le learn uh, what they need to learn. They just start slower and they, uh, to, uh, you know, it's more diverse in uh, colleges. They may, may take other topics, uh, subjects, uh, Eastern philosophy, for example, in addition to your uh, exact sciences. Mm, that was not uh, typical or not available in uh, Soviet Union. So it was a narrow specialization from day one, uh, and that's a serious difference. Another thing is uh, that 
what I see, uh, especially in average and beginning students, is uh, weaker uh, high school uh, mathematical background, so to speak. Again, as we all know, uh, high schools may teach a lot of mathematics, but it's, uh, to an extent, a choice of a student. There is no standard uh, uniform uh, curriculum, and uh, some students take a lot, and some students take much less, and uh, teaching uh, students, I see serious gaps. Uh, in their high school education. So oftentimes they start uh, in college was uh, ideally should have been covered in high school. Again, uh, this concerns average students, so to speak, but uh, again, if you, we talk about uh, talented students, uh, advanced students, of course they're as good as uh, anywhere and uh, ever. And, um, just less uh, standardized and uh, generally speaking, there are many more opportunities here so everyone can choose his or her own path. In Soviet Union, it was very, very uh, uniform. Everyone did exactly the same in some sense. Now, one of the things you did before you uh, left the Soviet Union is you worked uh, for a magazine that I had not heard of uh, before. It's, I And I'm sure I'm going to get the name uh, incorrect, but it'd be something like Kavant. Uh, quant is cor correct, absolutely, and what it means in Russian is quantum. Uh, actually, this magazine existed in English for about 10 years. Uh, yeah, this deserves uh, maybe a little description because it's, it's a unique uh, project, which uh, I still hope maybe uh, one day will uh, resurface uh, in, in, in the United States or maybe in English for the whole world. But anyway, what it was uh, was a magazine uh, on physics and mathematics, and the reason for this uh, combination of physics and mathematics was that in uh, Soviet high school curriculum, uh, these two disciplines were very closely connected. It's not the case here, unfortunately, uh, but uh, the way it was taught in Soviet Union was like, you know, in Newton's time. There was no big difference between physics and mathematics. Both were parts of natural philosophy. So it was a magazine for... Um, high school students mostly, uh, also for teachers, also for undergraduate students, but mostly for uh, high school students, uh, which uh, started in uh, 1970. And from the mathematical uh, side, uh, uh, the main engine was a uh, famous Russian mathematician, Kolmogorov, Andrei Kolmogorov, uh, and also some prominent physicists participated. Uh, so this was a monthly, uh, very cheap, uh, which... Um, was uh, available by subscription only. You couldn't find it in newsstands. And its circulation was uh, in the tune of 200,000, 300,000 copies, uh, which was amazingly high if you think about the topic. Uh, so every issue contained two serious articles in mathematics, two serious articles in physics, and many, many more uh, smaller um, materials, columns, uh, problem sections, uh, information and such. And it was also very well illustrated. A very good uh, book illustrators worked in the magazine. One of them, uh, Sergei Ivanov, another Russian name, uh, immigrated about the same time as I did, so about 20 years ago, and he continues working here uh, as a book illustrator and uh, web designer. Um, he illustrated uh, one of our books, that's why I mentioned him. Uh, so um, I think it was one of the major educational uh, projects. Uh, it still exists as a quant magazine, but uh, 
uh, its um, size, so to speak, is about 1%, maybe 2% of what it used to be. So the uh, subscriber base is in the thousands, not in hundreds of thousands. And there are many reasons for that, but uh, that's the fact. Now, there was uh, when Perestroika started in the Soviet Union, and you know, uh, the world suddenly became more connected than it used to be, so Cold War was not as intense as, as, as before. Um, there was um, a feeling uh, that uh, this magazine should uh, exist somehow in English language and be available in this country. So there were two uh, projects um, in the late 80s. Uh, one was um, initiated by American Mathematical Society, and another was um, initiated by National Science Teachers Association. And uh, that later one actually became a magazine called Quant, uh, sorry, Quantum, the English version of the same Greek word, I guess. Uh, and uh, it existed for about 10 years. Later, it was published by Springer Verlag, which is uh, probably the biggest publisher of uh, science literature in the world. Um, but eventually it died. And uh, it died not because, uh, in my opinion, that's my opinion only, it died not because uh, there is no interest, but I think the marketing was uh, relatively weak and no one really cared, so to speak. So it's my dream, I don't know whether it will be ever fulfilled, but it's my dream to start a magazine, probably mostly web-based these days, uh, which would be uh, something similar. I think there is enough interest in this country and also in the world. English, uh, fortunately for us, is uh, current latent, so everyone uh, can use English to some extent. So maybe uh, this is not a totally crazy idea, but um, it doesn't exist in English right now. I read a, a small bit that you wrote about the magazine and it had uh, meaning to you uh, kind of growing up and, and getting into mathematics, correct? Well, absolutely, yes. I was uh, subscribing from day one. Uh, I think I was in seventh grade when it appeared. Uh, so it was way above my head at that time, but uh, I continued sus subscribing um, until uh, I left the country. And now, of course, it's also online. So I keep uh, looking it up from time to time. Uh, yeah, it, it was one of the uh, main influences on, on, on me and uh, I think dozens and dozens of other mathematicians. Let's let's spin off a little bit to the mathematical work that uh, you do. Uh, and on your website, you list your areas of interest and they include things like differential topology uh, and differential geometry, dynamical systems. But in particular, it says you have a real like for mathematical billiards. Now, that's correct. I know what billiards are. Uh, I've <laughs> I've played billiards many times, but I'm was not aware that there was mathematical billiards. Uh, right. Uh, so this is a, a very simplified uh, model, as many things mathematicians do. They simplify so that they can actually do something. Uh, simplify can, compared to real life. Um, so um, a typical uh, typical. Uh, consideration would be like this. You, you have some domain, billiard table, doesn't have to be a rectangle, although rectangle is also interesting, but uh, typically we will look at arbitrary domain, could be very curved, you know, very uh, weird shape. And um, there is a point, so billiard ball uh, is abstracted to a point. And this point moves inside this domain, so it moves with constant speed, say unit speed, whatever unit uh, is, and then it hits the boundary, 
and then it reflects. And the reflection is um, subject to the familiar law, uh, angle of incidence equals angle of reflection. So this is uh, close to what you uh, see when you play a real billiard, but of course we totally disregard uh, friction and size of the ball and such things. Uh, spin of the ball, which is very important when you play real billiards. Uh, so um, you have this uh, simplified model, domain and uh, a point which reflects from the boundary elastically, and you want to describe uh, its motion. For example, a typical uh, question you want to answer is other periodic trajectories, so that you start at some point and after a while the ball comes back to the same point and moves in the same direction. The, one of the reasons uh, this is of interest to mathematics and also to physicists, uh, there are many, many papers written about billiards by physicists. One of the reasons is that exactly the same mathematical model describes uh, geometrical optics. So you can imagine that the boundary of the table is uh, an ideal mirror, and instead of uh, thinking of this billiard ball, you think of an array of light which reflects from the boundary. Again, the same law of reflection, angle of instance equals angle of reflection. And then you, you want to describe this optical system. So uh, another side of the same coin is geometric uh, optics, which is an interesting subject on its own right. So uh, I would say that billiards is, um, is not a theory, uh, so to speak, but it's kind of crossroad. It's where many uh, things in mathematics uh, meet together, and you, you can use different ideas, different methods to study the same system. That's why it's uh, really interesting. It's a very good example, so to speak, example where you can use different uh, tools from different toolbox boxes. Oh, one other area you, you seem to have a, a deep interest in is polynomials, considering you've written a book on them. You've also developed a curriculum about them. Now, I, polynomials is something that at, at least here most people start seeing around late middle school, early high school. Uh, but I, w I was wondering what uh, kind of polynomials you like working with, because I, I assume that they go a little bit deeper than the uh, x squared plus 2x <laughs> plus 3 equals 0. <laughs> uh, yeah, I will say a little bit deeper. Um, so um, I wouldn't uh, call this my uh, area of research, but you're right, I like the topic. And right now I'm teaching a topics uh, course in our math program. That's something we may uh, talk about if you wish. Uh, it's a special and unique uh, program for advanced undergraduates. Uh, my course is uh, very eclectic, and uh, I like it uh, this way. So um, I would say that there are basically two, two ways to learn. You know, there's a vertical uh, learning and there is horizontal uh, learning. So vertical learning is uh, typically what is taught in universities and colleges. Uh, you choose a, a subject, uh, theory, uh, and uh, you learn from fr first principles. Uh, you build uh, technical skills. So it's like a tree, you know, growing up. Uh, but uh, then there, there is a different way to learn uh, things. You choose a uh, topic again, polynomials in this case, and uh, what we discussed just before was mathematical billiards, um, and uh, you try to go from, from there horizontally. So you, 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 you enter different theories, different, different uh, areas of mathematics where this particular uh, subject it appears naturally, and you, you you try to go, you know, half a mile left, then one mile forward, then maybe uh, a third mile uh, right, and uh, learn around this uh, subject, going going into different uh, theories, and that's what I'm trying to achieve in this uh, course. 
Uh, you're right, polynomials are very familiar uh, to everyone who, who learns mathematics from mi middle school or maybe high school and up, uh, but there are so many interesting things which are not necessarily uh, taught in high school or anywhere else that I thought it would be an interesting uh, topics uh, course with uh, unusual uh, unusual things uh, covered, unusual for standard undergraduate curriculum. Uh, since uh, MASS came up, uh, MASS uh, standing for Mathematics Advanced Study Semesters, I, yeah, I, w I would like to, to hear a bit more about it. Uh, right. Uh, so um, let me do uh, a little promotion here. Mm, so this is um, a unique program which we have at Penn State, which uh, started in 1996. And uh, I joined in uh, 2000, and since then, so it's my 13th year in the capacity of its uh, director. So the uh, program is unique in this country. There are two similar programs, uh, somewhat similar pro programs based abroad for American students. Uh, one is uh, called Budapest Semesters, and obviously it's uh, in Hungary, in Budapest. And another is called Math in Moscow, and again, <laughs> obviously it's in Moscow and Russia. Uh, so the idea of the program is uh, immersive. So we bring to the program uh, undergraduate students from across the country. It's not only for Penn State students, but uh, for students from across the country. And they come here for a semester, and we teach them uh, very intense mathematics. So there are three topics courses, unusual courses. Uh, then there is a seminar, there is a colloquium, there are research projects, there are oral exams at the end. Um, so for one semester, this group of students, about 20 of them, are immersed in mathematics and um, this, the intensity of this program is much, much higher than, you know, usual undergraduate uh, studies. And we consider this uh, program as a kind of springboard uh, to, to graduate schools. Not everyone, uh, not every participant goes to graduate school, but most of them uh, do. And uh, some of them uh, become professional mathematicians and very su successful ones. By now we have tenured faculty who went through our program. Uh, there is one in Ivy League School Brown, for example, a participant of the first year, 1996. Uh, so this program is uh, really uh, unusual and unique. And it's uh, currently it's well supported by uh, National Science Foundation. So we actually pay students to attend this program. We pay them stipends and uh, cover most of their expenses. And uh, I think it's a meaningful and very pleasant uh, thing to do, although, of course, it's a lot of work, too. <laughs> well, the, the best things usually are, aren't they? Uh, that is true, yes. So uh, we, we talked about you working on uh, the magazine earlier. You also uh, work as an editor uh, in the, for the American Mathematical Monthly and the Mathematical Intelligencer. I want to talk about your work with the, uh, the latter of those two, because for the Mathematical Intelligencer, you're the Mathematical Entertainments Editor. Uh, actually, uh, the name of this column will change uh, from... Um first issue of next year, it will be called Mathematical Gems and Curiosities. Okay, well that, that explains it a bit more because I was wondering what a mathematical entertainment was. Uh, right, uh, so yeah, there, there are many, many ways to understand this and somewhat the name is misleading. I'm afraid it um, attracts people who are uh, not doing sufficiently deep mathematics. You know, there are many puzzles. Mathematical puzzles or near mathematical puzzles. That's not what we have in mind. What we have in mind are um, really interesting uh, and lesser known 
uh, gems, you know, uh, beautiful things in mathematics which deserve to be well known, but they uh, they're supposed to be also deep mathematically, not just superficial or shallow. That's why I don't like the name entertainment. But uh, this was um, this is I think one of the best columns in the this very 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 good magazine. And I was really honored when I was uh, invited to, to to serve as its editor. Um, it's a responsibility, of course, but uh, like I say, I'm really honored. Well, it's, well, I I won't admit that I that I'm a bit saddened that it's not somehow a gossip column about uh, mathematicians. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, no. <laughs> I, I I was. What would a uh, a typical uh, one of these columns be like? Like, what if you could give me an example of one? First of all, uh, they're extremely flexible. So the, there is no restriction on the size. Could be a long article, like 10 pages long. Could be just one page long, or even half a page long. Uh, the only thing, it should be really something which makes you know, say, aha, how, how come I didn't know that? So the, I think the audience uh, of mathematical intelligence is uh, mostly professional mathematicians, but uh, it's not a specialized research. Uh, magazine. So this is uh, what you expect to find in coffee rooms, uh, in departments of mathematics all over the globe, really, not, not only in this country, but everywhere. And uh, this is something you, uh, a professional mathematician should uh, open uh, for pleasure, uh, maybe uh, during a break from, from <laughs> you know, salt mines, from serious research <laughs> or teaching uh, work, open randomly, uh, for example, at this uh, column and see something beautiful, a beautiful picture, be a beautiful result and say, aha, uh, this is something I really want to take home or share with friends. You want an example. So I don't want to uh, go uh, technical. Let me give you an example of uh, something which unfortunately will not be there because it's already published. Uh, although, uh, if um, I could, I would definitely uh, include this. So uh, here is um, a thing which uh, I think um, every high student uh, can understand. Um, so take, take a sphere uh, and uh, draw a triangle on the surface. Mm, that's not an unusual thing, right? We can buy a ball and just draw a triangle with a marker. So when I say triangle, I mean that the sides are arcs of great circle, circles. On the sphere, you don't have straight lines, but the best you, you can do is to draw great circles. So you have a triangle whose sides are segments of great circles. And now you drop three altitudes, just like you do it uh, in uh, usual Euclidean plane. And uh, not surprisingly, the three altitudes will intersect in one point. So this uh, high school theorem that three altitudes of a triangle intersect in one point uh, is true not only in uh, plain Euclidean geometry, but also in spherical geometry. Okay? That's not very surprising, and uh, one can prove it somehow. But a surprising fact uh, is that this simple theorem of geometry, that three altitudes of a spherical triangle intersect at one point, has is very very closely related to what is called Jacobi identity uh, in the Lie uh, algebra of uh, motions of the sphere. Okay, so now I'm uh, talking technical uh, words, but um, Lie groups and Lie algebras is uh, one of the most fundamental uh, topics in contemporary mathematics, and uh, chances are that a typical reader of intelligentsia 
has some basic knowledge or at least would recognize the terms. So this is a totally unexpected connection, a simple uh, elementary geometry connected to a very fundamental uh, property, uh, which is called Jacobi identity, of uh, Lie, uh, uh, Lie algebra of motions of that sphere. This is a kind of unexpected, beautiful connection, uh, which, uh, how to say, would would make my day, really, as a mathematician, I hope. <laughs> yeah. I, so I, I have one, one last thing I'd like to talk to you about. Uh, you have had visiting uh, positions all over the world. You uh, help organize the International Summer School of Mathematics for Young Students. So I, I was wondering if this this is something that you... Uh, that you are actively trying to do is to is to have this sort of uh, international uh, mathematical life instead of you know doing what what a lot of people do, which is going to their job and and having their worlds uh, you know exist there. Uh, right. So I guess there are two questions, and if uh, our time is not uh, very strictly limited, maybe I can answer both. So one is travel, international travel uh, to do research. Uh, fortunately for us, mathematics is totally international, so there are no boundaries. And since I grew up in Soviet Union, which was uh, disconnected from the rest of the world, at the beginning at least I had this, uh, how should I say, uh, hunger. I really wanted to travel, I wanted to, to, to see the world. But um, that's not uh, really why I'm doing it now. Um, the reason is that uh, there are many uh, places in the world where you, 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 you can go and uh, work with uh, colleagues on a challenging research uh, program without being disturbed by you know, everyday uh, life concerns, in particular professional concerns. So um, there are several institutes in the world, and I'll mention one, uh, which is really a paradise, mathematician's paradise. It's, it's a small village in Germany called Oberwolfach. And, uh, of course, uh, only mathematicians know <laughs> that uh, such place exists. Um, it's an, an institute um, in the uh, southwest corner of Germany, uh, very remote, uh, where um, every week there is a conference or workshop on different topics. And in addition, they have a program which is called RIP, Research in Pairs. Of course, there is a joke here, rest in peace. And peace you have there because, like I said, it's a remote location. There's nothing else to do. You, you just sleep, eat, do research, and hike a little bit because it's in small mountains. And that's the place uh, which I find ideal to start a project or to work on a book. For example, our relatively popular book with uh, Dmitry Fuchs called Mathematical Omnibus. We, we wrote it mostly there in two consecutive summers. So such things are not available at home, so to speak. At home, you have too, too many distractions. Students, family, you know, everyday life. Um, so that's one of the reasons to, to, to travel. Now, concerning, you mentioned this International Summer School for Students. This is a different thing, and uh, I want to say a few words about this, if, if I may. Two years ago, we started uh, something which we hope will be a, uh, an every-year event. It's... Um, International School for Young Students of Mathematics, uh, so typically last two years of high school and first two years of college. And um, the first one took place last summer in Bremen, in Germany. The next one took place, uh, I said last summer, I, I'm sorry, it was uh, 2011. Uh, so the uh, next one took place last summer, 2012, in Lyon, in France. The next one will be uh, 
in Bremen again, 2013. So this school is uh, really international. Uh, in Lyon, we had more than 40 countries represented. In Bremen, I think around 30. Uh, there are about 100 uh, plus uh, students from across the world. And uh, we bring along prominent mathematicians who are known also to be good expositors. Uh, who give their mini-series of lectures and who, who spend much time with the students, formally and informally. Uh, they live and eat together, and they um, spend um, after-class time together. And uh, I think it's, it's a very, very uh, important uh, thing we are doing. And it's a tremendous amount of organizational work, of course, but um, it's worth it, in my opinion. By the way, this school is based on a, a Russian model. So there is a similar school, uh, but only for Russian students, and uh, the working language, uh, obviously, is Russian, uh, which takes place every summer near Moscow in um, a small town called uh, Dubna. And um, it's about 10 years old. I think they started in 2001. That was a very successful model, and so we decided to, to borrow it. And we have a really international organizational uh, committee, which consists of mathematicians from Germany and France and uh, United States. Um, and we hope it will be uh, well for many years and uh, keep happening. Of course, uh, an important issue is uh, money. Uh, so we have some grants uh, from various donors, but this is always on our minds where to get more money for that. But I hope it will uh, exist. There is a website uh, where all talks are videotaped. You, you can watch movies there and, uh, of course, read, uh, see pictures, photographs, read uh, participants' uh, opinions about, about the school. It's a big event. I'm proud of being part of it. Oh, Professor, uh, uh, well, Professor Tomasznikov, thank you so much for giving me your time and being on Strongly Connected Components. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting. And that is all the time we have for this episode of Strongly Connected Components. If you want to find out more about our guest, Sergei Tabashnikov, please head on over to acmescience.com and find the blog post for this episode. It was episode number 48. And if you have any feedback or you want to say, suggest a guest that I should interview, please email me, Samuel, at acmescience.com. And also, be sure to head on over to wellprime.com, where you can check out the eight episodes of the hit mathematical podcast from Acme Science, Relatively Prime. It's really good, guys. You should really go listen to it. The music on this episode was from Hard and Firm and SP12. And this show is, as always, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution share-alike license. So please... Please, 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 pretty please, take my voice, make it into something new and different, remix everything about it, and then release it. But only as long as you share it the exact same way. And I want to thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Strongly Connected Components, and I hope that you come back for the next one, as well as, say, the next episode of Science Sparring Society or Acme Science News Now. Uh, which, of course, are also shows at acmescience.com. I really should be listening to all of them. And I hope that you're having a great week. And 
that you continue to listen. And I'm going to stop this rambling outro. Everyone have a math week. Bye.